So in our, in our sermon series today, as we turn our attention to this morning, uh, we're in a series on parenting. Uh, Grassroots uh, wants to be a community who learns to know what it is to experience the love of Jesus, to know what it is to, to, to receive it, and then know what it is to give it, right back in turn, to give it out to the world, uh, to translate his love from our heads into our hearts and into our hands. And so as because of that, one of the things that we've been doing in the last season here at Grassroots has been studying love. What is love? What does Jesus' love look like? And we've been on this topic since September, kind of going back and forth between more like Bible, Bible study kinds of sermons and more practically oriented kind of sermons. Like what does the love of Jesus look like in our everyday life? And so we're in one of those practically oriented sermons series right now on parenting and parenting relationships. What does it look like for the love of Jesus, the cross-shaped love of Jesus to show up, to be alive, to be real in our parenting relationships? And so um, one of the things that we've been talking about all along, if you've missed any of the sermons, don't worry up to this point. They're all online if you want to catch up and hear some, but uh, I'll catch up if you haven't heard them yet. Uh, today. So we've been kind of talking about some of the practical things that we do as Christians to help cultivate this love. This love isn't just something that is uh, inherent in us. It's something that needs to be shaped and grown and formed. Um, and so the, the, we have practical patterns of things that we can do. One of them is learning to be people who show gratitude, who learn to be grateful for life. Uh, we learn the practices of forgiveness, and Jesus tells us to go way out of our way, way beyond our wildest imaginations, to forgive others who've wounded us. And that's really the heartbeat of, of our faith, uh, to show remorse, to learn to be people who can confess, who don't sort of have to be self-righteous all the time, that we can expose a little bit of what we've done wrong uh, to those around us. And um, journaling, which is not a popular message, I know. <laughs> You know, like I, I know that a lot of us struggle with journaling. And by journaling, I don't mean like writing the next great set of journals for the next generation that all everyone will read from, and from time immemorial. I'm not talking about that kind of journaling. I'm talking about just trying to capture a little bit of what God is doing in our life and keep it in our mind and do the internal work that it takes to keep these practices going. And sometimes just getting it, writing it down, keeping a little record of what God is doing and what the trials are like that we've gone through can really help us grow in love. So uh, how does this all work in parenting? That's what we're talking about. And I'm not trying to give you like how to, uh, you know, a how to manual. There is no manual for parenting. In the Bible, only actually talks about it just a very little bit, especially in the New Testament, which means that there's really not a cookie cutter kind of way to be a Christian parent. You know, there's, there's not one size fits all. You've got to read your situation. You've got to learn the, the kinds of things that work in your parenting relationships. But also, um, the thing that does kind of bring it all together is the challenge for us in our individual situations to learn how to translate the cross, the, love, the cross-like love of Jesus into our parenting relationships. And that's, that's uh, something that we can talk about. So kind of leaning into those ideas. And when I talk about parenting relationships, I really have to make sure that you understand that I'm talking about the gamut, not just the kids that we have in, in, in our custody to, um, to care for, but parenting relationships we are all, have all been parented at some level by somebody. Um, 
we do have children in our lives, whether they're biological, fostered, or adopted. We have kids around us in our lives, nieces and nephews, and especially in the faith, as you see around here. Uh, and some of us will have future kids in our lives that aren't there yet. And so I'm suggesting, I'm inviting us, even though I'm putting a special emphasis on, uh, especially today, on uh, the home life, parenting in the home life, all this stuff can really go and apply to the various dimensions of our life. So um, parenting relationships and putting the cross into the parenting relationships. Um, and really, there's three kinds of thoughts, just catching up here if you've missed so far. Learning to honor our parents, we talked about that two weeks ago. Managing our homes with good character, we talked about that last week. And now we're talking about how the cross of Jesus looks like in giving children time, touch, and encouragement, even in the worst of times. And um, if you really want to boil this down, if you really want to try to, like, the, the memorable points, it's basically this. Honor your parents, be respectable, and show remorse. Let your kids and the, the children in your life know that you screwed up when you screwed up with them. And the final one is tune in to them selflessly. If you have to sort of, if you need something to hold on to, these are the ideas. And today we're looking at what does it look like to tune in to the kids around us in a selfless way. But if you want to put this out more into kind of like a big theory, a big sentence, you know, last week we talked about how Christian parenting rises and falls on the quality of our character in the midst of trial. When things get tough, when things get messy, when they go out of sorts, our character is what matters, of being respectable. But today we're, we're diving in a little bit deeper, a little more practically into this idea, wisdom and worth. We want our kids to be wise. We want them to know their worth. And when we think about Christian parenting relationships and the kids around us, these are really our jobs, to give them our wisdom, pass them on, and to teach them that they're worthy of love. So Christians are able to give these to their kids through encouragement, time, and touch, even in the most difficult of times. So that's some more of the ideas that I'm working at with today. And just so you know, like I'm not an expert <laughs> in this stuff. <laughs> I have some kids. I've been parenting for a little while. I'm not here to give you sort of, here's the, the end all and be all. I'm just, but I have learned a few things along the way, and I'm just giving them to you. And... Um, you know, it's, it's so funny. I've like, if you've noticed, I haven't told a lot of stories during these sermons. Because <laughs> it's like, I think of all the mess-ups, all the crazy stories that I could tell you one-on-one. -on -one, but I think my 13-year-old is here somewhere. So, <laughs> well, maybe she's not. Okay, I can tell the stories. Um, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to out the kids, because they are embarrassing. I've embarrassed my kids to no end through my horrible parenting and my selfish parenting. And you could probably, if I took you out for coffee tomorrow, you could probably have a handful of your embarrassing parenting stories of just how much we can mess up. And yeah, I didn't think of anyone that I wanted to share with you today, because <laughs> it's so embarrassing. All of it's so embarrassing. So maybe next time I can do better. But um, there are so many ways that I've failed in all of this. And so if you're sitting here today recognizing, okay, Keith has some good teaching, some good ideas. Um, we're really talking about what it is to recover from those failed uh, experiences and what it is to be uh, people who are know knowing how to love our enemies, giving radical service, embracing humility and into parenting. Um, and, and, and when it comes down to it, the, the point, the ultimate point is that Christian parenting is about teaching them the truths of the faith. 
Like oftentimes we think about that. We want to give them the truths of the faith. But a Christian family filled with Christian teachings without Christian love is a really dangerous place to be. I just want us to ponder that for a little bit. I mean, of course, we need to teach our kids the Bible stories. We need to, we need to, teach, we need to teach our kids who God is and who, who, what he's doing in the world. But if, if you live in, and if you've grown up in a Christian environment that was filled with Christian Christianity, with Christian teachings, but really didn't have Christian love in it, that was a dangerous place for you. It's a really dangerous place. So as we dive into this, I want to invite us to remember to keep on thinking of how much character, how much our personal character matters in this work. So diving into the scriptures here. Last week we talked about uh, Paul's letter to Timothy and Titus. He, this, Paul is a missionary and uh, just after the time where Jesus was raised from the dead and um, he was going out to share the good news and he had two, as he was getting older, he had two kinds of disciples um, or two disciples. One of them was Timothy, one was Titus. He, he gives them some teaching about how to run a church, how to, what to expect in church and he has a little bit of teaching on parenting. And that's one of the hot spots in the New Testament of teaching on parenting on Christian parenting, but the other, uh, other places are Paul's letter to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. If, you, if you've ever read these letters, they're not to individuals, they're to church communities. They're filled with all sorts of great stuff, but there's also a little bit of teaching in there on parenting, which, which I'm going to pull out today. And this is just what, a, what one of the letters would have looked like that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and to the Colossians. And when he, when he writes to them, he writes these two little lines about parenting. And if you're really a Bible geek like I am, you'll recognize that you could take a Word document and make two columns, and you could take and break up Ephesians and Colossians. And there really, there's a lot of similarities. Paul recycles his teachings to, the, to those communities. So there's a lot of repeats. You can kind of line up to see what Paul said to the Ephesians when he said to the Colossians. And so there's two lines, or one line in each of the letters that come out like this. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to help you here, but I, just, I kept these in Greek so that... We don't get the ideas right away. The English starts to give us certain ideas of what, what these teachings mean. And I'm going to leave it in Greek to, to begin with here to help us. So fathers, this is his teachings in Ephesians. Fathers, do not par or gizete your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And in Colossians, fathers, do not er ethizete your children. So we notice that he's using two different words. Oh, yeah, so that you do not make them deeply discouraged. So we notice that he's using two different words here. And the difference is really fascinating, and I think it teaches us a lot. Um, but it looks like Paul is giving similar teachings to fathers uh, about children, um, and um, they are similar. And they're asking parents, fathers in particularly, to avoid certain kinds of behaviors that will really hurt your kids. Um, both are suggesting that adults and the lives of children have a power over them, a very, a very strong power here to bring them up in wisdom or to deeply discourage them. And it's addressed to fathers, and the, you know, Paul moves back and, back and forth in the letters between the word parents and fathers, so he's specifically teaching fathers here, and I think that there's something to be said by that, but I really do, at the end of the day, think that these teachings have, are good for mothers and for aunts and uncles and any person who has a role of authority in a life of a kid. So there's certain things that any adult can do in the life of children that will hurt them. 
So that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. Um, and I think at the end of the day, when we unpack these words, when we unpack what is meant here, um, it's all about being less self-centered. Uh, how can we be more selfless in our relationships with our children? And it's, it's not easy. Once we get into this, it's, you know, it's like difficult stuff. So um, the first one, let's start here with par orgizete. Fathers, do not enrage your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And the, first, the second time this word par orgizete is used in the Bible is in Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses is speaking here, and he's saying to the community, uh, you're going to do what's evil on the side of the Lord. You're going to go into the, to the promised land, and you're going to do some bad things, and especially you're going to worship idols, and you're going to par orgizete God through the works of your hands. So oftentimes in the Bible, this word paragizete to enrage has to do with humans making God upset. And you know, you can think, that would make sense. It would be easy for us to think the teaching is to children here. Children, don't enrage your parents. Because we know that. We know that experience. All of us can testify. Kids can enrage us. (laughs) They can enrage us with the wrath of God. But this is not what Paul is saying. He's like, parents, don't make your children enraged. And this has to do specifically about training and instruction. So there's all sorts of things that we can do to enrage our kids. Can I get a word? Can I get a testimony? Anyone? Open mic. Um, all sorts of things we can. But the idea is, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll nix that idea. The idea is that uh, a training, training and, disciple, training and discipleship, don't choose methods to try to get your kids to behave or be good disciples in ways that enrage them. Find other ways, and I'm going to get to some practicality here. Um, don't enrage your kids. The, the contrast is enraging them versus teaching them. Uh, we're meant to pass our wisdom on to our kids, um, but we have to teach them. We can't just assume that methods that make them upset. Now, here's the thing. Um, okay, I'll tell this story. I wasn't going to, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, the, one of the most low, the lowest points of my parenting was we were just about to move to Thunder Bay. We were right in the thick of transition, packing up the house down in Kentucky. We lived in this big old house. It was like probably 3,000 square feet built in the ni- like 1900. It was nice. It had been redone, but we were renting it from this guy who knew we were, uh, he was a children's pastor at a church. So he was giving us a great deal, and we had this cavernous space to live in. And I remember, I know because I'm a sophisticated human being, I know what transition is like. Everyone gets a little more agitated. All the emotions are on edge. And you can really sort of, the whole house can devolve into lots of chaos when there's real transition. When you move houses, when you change jobs, when there's a loss, anything like that, you can expect the waters to be rough. So I brought this little chalkboard over during dinner, and I drew this little waterfall. Here's us, I said, on the top of the waterfall, and the waters are going to get choppy for a little while, and all of us are going to be emotional. We have to be patient with one another because it's like it's going to be rough. But then when we go over the waterfall, it's like us moving to Thunder Bay. It's going to be quick, and we'll be there. But then when we get to the bottom of the waterfall, it's going to be rocky for a while. The waters are choppy, but then it will be calm waters again. This is a great theory, right? Tracking with me? But my, my basic point, in my sophistication, was uh, let's be gentle with each other. We're all going to have high emotions. Let's be gentle with each other for the next little bit. 
So what happens next? I have my little chalkboard. I'm finishing my rice. All I remember is that we've got someone, they'll remain nameless, and, and uh, very much disrespecting Eve in the, in the kitchen. They, um, they, were just, they, were, they were disrespecting Eve, and, um, and I just got like the fear of Zeus, or the, the, the wrath of Zeus in my eyes. I don't know, I was so angry, and I was sweeping. I, I had a broom, and I remember just taking the broom and just being, stop that, and throwing it across the living room. And I hit a cookie jar, and the cookie jar shattered. And I thought, what just happened? <laughs> and I'd look in the eyes of my bewildered children, like... Okay, and I was way out of line, friends. This was abusive, okay? This was like, I had to check my heart here. I thought, what just happened? So as a, as a good, humble uh, father, you know, there's crying. I go upstairs. I say, you know, honey, sometimes parents just have to, like, throw lightning bolts. <laughs> Terrible, right? It's shameful. When, you, when you're out of place, parents just have to throw, like, like Zeus, you know, you just, and then I thought about that. I'm like, I'm just such an idiot. That's so wrong in every single way. But this can happen. We can, children can enrage us. Um, and of course, I apologized. I brought up before my, my children. I said that was wrong. I was out of, out of line. That shouldn't have happened. But we can do so many things to enrage them back, can't we? And the idea is this. Well, just think about this. What can we do to enrage our kids? We want them to, be, to behave. We want them to do something right. We can nag them over and over and over. Why didn't you do this? Please do that. Do this. Do that. We can offer constant criticism in their life. Uh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. Oh, sorry, Claire. I didn't see you back there. <laughs> You'll forgive me, won't you? Yeah, I love you. Okay. Um, um, Nagging, constant criticism, you know, like there's all sorts of things that we can do when we really just want them to learn something. And again, I'm not going to try to get into specifics because it's different for everyone, but what is it that you do that enrages your kids? If your kids are enraged, it may be for some other reason, but you have to check yourself because it may be because of the way you're parenting. That's what Paul is saying here. Fathers, don't par or gizete your children. Don't enrage them. The way that we teach, the way that we want them to, to, to get better is through training and instruction, correction little by little. We ha- parents have to put up with a lot of bad behavior if we're going to be parents in this way. A lot of things that enrage us that we would want to just stomp out right away. But when we do, when we, when we behave like that, when we're always on our kids and we stomp out bad behavior over and over and over again, what we're really doing is nagging them and criticizing them and not really teaching them. And I know it sounds simple, but friends, sometimes we just need to take a breath, let something pass, and go about saying, here's the reason why I want you to behave a certain way. Um, we need to teach them and correct them little by little. Uh, there's a lot of ugliness in the lives of children that we need to put up with for, um, to, to, to parent in this way. And, and I love this. Instead of nagging, instead of continuing to just constantly criticize and be on our kids and enrage them, simply sometimes we just have to ask the question, how can I help you? If, if they're failing to pick something up over and over again, if they're failing to behave in a certain way over and over again, rather than going in hot with our correction, sometimes it's simply, how can I help you? How can I help you? It's a, it's, it's a powerful word, phrase. Put it in your pocket. And usually that diffuses a lot of the situation. 
Um, so basically, I'm, I'm inviting us to think about replacing the enraging techniques that we have, whatever they are, with teaching and instruction. Uh, now, moving on um, to Colossians. Fathers, don't erethizate, provoke your children. This is like basically pushing them to make a fight with you. Like, I'm uh, pushing them over and over and over again to, like, to fight with you. It's a pro- provocation. Don't, don't use that kind of pushiness with your kids. That, that's a bit aggressive. Why? Why is this? Because they're going to be deeply discouraged. Parents who discipline their kids too much or too provocative with them will have deeply discouraged parents. Now, again, I've said this many times up here, and I'll say it again. There are lots of reasons for depression. There are lots of reasons for a person to be depressed. Some of them are uh, uh, experiential. Some of them are biological. But Paul is saying that there are... um, some of the reasons why kids are depressed is because our, their parents are depressing them. <laughs> and so we have power over these kids. Now, um, it's pro- provocation and, and um, bring, like making them wrath-filled are two similar kinds of ideas. But you notice Paul uses different words here. Erethizete is different than the, one, the paraorgizete. And there's, there's a reason why. They're, they're different kinds of words. One of them has to do with your kids, kid-focused. Don't do stuff. Choose methods of, of discipline that don't provoke them to wrath. That's about the kid. But this is more about you as parents and parenting relationships. Don't do anything that is provocative. Don't do anything that is coming from you in a way that is a bit messed up. So I'll unpack this here a little bit. The word is very similar to the word for selfish ambition. Do nothing out of erytheion. Remember this in Philippians 2, or vain conceit? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And I think, I think these, uh, the, very, the similarity of these ideas to teach us that when we provoke our kids, when we're provocative, when we push their buttons just to sort of get them to do what we want them to do, there's a selfishness involved there. There's a selfish ambition involved in there. Um, And basically, the opposite of this is counting others more significant than yourselves. And I think what Paul is really getting at here at the very depths of this teaching is when we are so self-focused, when we are so absorbed in ourselves, our kids don't get the message that they're worth love. We're so preoccupied with ourselves that over time, through the many things that we don't say or say or the way that we behave, kids start be- believing deep inside of themselves that they must not be worthy of your love, worthy of your time. It's the message that comes across when, when out of selfish ambition uh, we're parenting. But really the opposite of this, in humility count others more significant than yourselves, um, I'm not advocating for kids to be in control of the household. I'm not advocating for you to like let them run over you like like uh, like they're a, a big dump truck and you're just the gravel underneath their wheels. I'm not talking about that, but you do have to teach your kids our jobs as parents or anyone in parenting relationships are to teach the kids that they are worthy of love, that they are more important than we are to ourselves. There's nothing more Christian, I think, about that as we completely empty out ourselves and learn to, uh, learn to deny ourselves 
take up our crosses and follow Jesus. It's like we're handing the baton of worth over to, to children. We teach them that they're more significant to us than even we are to ourselves. So that's, that's kind of the main idea here. Don't squash your kids with your own selfishness because you'll, you'll make them depressed. So selfish, selfish parenting versus other-centered parenting. Here's some thoughts, some other ideas. Uh, the full-blown selfishness is called narcissism. I don't know. There, there are some people in the world who are diagnosable when it comes to, to narcissism, the ways they think about themselves. Not, there's probably not a ton of people in the world that are clinical like this. But when they are clinical, if, if we think about the extreme of selfishness, selfishness in parenting, really they only see a reflection of themselves in their kids. Their kids are not some, a completely other who's, who are there to learn about and respect. They just see someone else that they should make like them. And these parents can oftentimes parent out of embarrassment. I don't know if you, you know any parents who tend to parents out of embarrassment. Oh, the reason why they want their kids to be, be, to be behaving is because it's a bad reflection on them. I want you to, to behave. I want you to stay in line because what will people think about me? And when we parent this way, our kids know it. They sense deep down that we really don't care about them behaving. We care about them not reflecting poorly on us. Um, and so you can, you can uh, parents who parent like this can get into some serious ruts. Um, they're never satisfied with their kids. Uh, they shame their kids. They're emotionally unavailable. Uh, it's like my way or the highway kind of parenting. Like I've got no space to consider what you, who you are and what you want in your life. Um, and basically, uh, we, we ignore and we don't respect the kids' feelings or their experiences. Um, and when we do this, when we parent out of embarrassment, it can really depress the kid. So basically, on the other side of this, selfless parenting, there, there, again, there's no tried and true way. This is just you thinking through and me thinking through over and over and over again how selfish I can be and where I can get better with this, how I can be less selfish. Echo their feelings. It's a, just a really simple way. If, if a kid is saying, I, if their kid is looking so angry or they're in a rage if, for whatever reason, rather than don't do this or don't feel that or don't, don't act like this, we tend to do that because we want to like, manage the situations. We can say, you look angry. It's simple, like take step aside and say, you look like you're in a rage right now. What you're doing is you're validating their feelings you're validating their experiences and teaching them that they're worth your time. Now, um, another one, teach them that they are enjoyable. Um, oftentimes when my children get the most angry at me is because, Daddy, you work too much. Daddy, you never play with us. Daddy, you never spend time with us, which isn't true. I spend a lot of time with my kids. Um, but what I'm failing to do oftentimes is teaching them that I like spending time with them. So even when I don't have a lot of time, even when I haven't spent time with my kids that day, and they say, Daddy, you never spend time with me. Rather than being selfish and trying to defend myself and being self-righteous, well, I've got a lot of work, and you don't understand how much pressure I've had in my day, and you don't understand this, and this is justifying it, simply turn it around to selfless parenting. Honey, I really love spending time with you. I'm sorry I can't, but I really like it. 
Or oftentimes, you know, you'll hear like there's this, like a scene plays out on, let's say, a, a beach. Your family's on vacation. Uh, um, the kid's playing in the sand. Um, mom is sitting on, you know, the, the, the chair reading a book. And, and uh, dad is, is, is down playing in the sandcastle. And mom says something like, hey, give your dad some space. He needs some rest. Okay, perfect example. What are you going to do in that spot? Oftentimes, included, I would just get up and I guess you're right, you know, I do need some rest. And what I've told the kids there implicitly is they're not worth my time. I could say, no, don't worry. I love playing with my daughter the best. I, 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 I love more than anything spending time with, with my child. It's just, it's a little switch, but it can be really helpful. You need to teach them that they're enjoyable. Find a way to communicate that they are worth spending time with. Or other-centered parenting. Uh, when you rebu- rebuke them, which re- you have to rebuke kids. Like, there's rebuking that goes on. It's part of parenting. Teaching them, correcting them, rebuking them. But again, this isn't about trying to make them feel anything other than the fact that they need to learn something to, to, to um, get out of the, the situation they're in. Oftentimes, I learned this a, a while back, but oftentimes... Um, when, when one of my kids is the angriest and I'm, you know, I can't get through to them and they're like, why are you punishing me? Like, you don't love me because you must not love me because you're punishing me. I'll, take a, I'll stop and I'll say, look, like, um, we're on the same t- side. We're on the same team here. I'm not against you. I'm not, I'm not trying to just make you feel horrible about yourself. We're on the same team. And then I'll take time to explain, because there's a certain behavior. If you continue this certain behavior in your life, your life will not go well for you. You'll be lonely. People won't want to be around you. People want to see how I'm taking the time to, to explain and to teach. So it, oftentimes we can get so much in a rut of, of just don't do this and don't do that, and you're doing this wrong and doing that wrong. Um, be selfless in the time that you take to teach your kids why it is that you have to rebuke them. It's, a, it's, it's really important. I know you probably all, all know this, but I'm just trying to help us continue to imagine what it looks like to parent out of the cross. And, and if you have to boil all this down into two ideas, it's again, pass on your wisdom, and teach them that they are worthy. It's really two main jobs of Christian parenting. And it takes a lot, of, a lot of our own self-reflection because we can do all sorts of things to fail to pass on what we know because we're so busy rushing around. Or we can do all sorts of things that implicitly are telling them that they're not worthy, enjoyable uh, to spend time with. So a few more principles and then I'll be done here because really, again, I'm not an expert. I'm not, I'm not up here as a childhood expert. I don't know all the techniques. But I've learned a few things, okay? And so I'm just trying to pass them on. Um, encouragement, time and touch. This is how this comes out in the wash. Now, I'm not just talking about telling your kids that they're good people, that you like them. I'm talking about a deep level of encouragement. When you need to be firm, be firm. But don't make it about you. You could probably think of a thousand ways that you can make being firm about you. I'm so tired. I need space. What will I look like? If you keep doing this, be firm, but don't make it about you. Your kids can smell it from a mile away. Let your rebuke be explanatory. I'm on your side. I'm trying to help make a better life. Kids won't ever understand this, by the way. 
It's not like you're going to rationalize it. <laughs> but you can uh, continue to reinforce the fact that you are on their side, that you, they're enjoyable, you love them. Time. Uh, well, if you have kids, definitely spend five to ten minutes with them. But also t- take five to ten minutes to tune into your kids. Um, <laughs> Uh, take five to ten. If, if you don't have time in your life, if, you have, if you're really in a season where you're rushed or you don't have space, five, ten minutes every day is not too much to ask, in which your main job is to teach them that you enjoy them. And even if you don't have the time, tell them that you enjoy them. Touch. Touch is so important in this process. Uh, we, we all know that parenting... Uh, healthy parenting involves touch, physical touch, of course. Uh, you know, like uh, rocking kids when they're small and hugs and, uh, you know, strokes of the, he- of the head and hair when, when kids are feeling sad and upset. But what about praying for them, giving them a blessing? Every morning, like I picked this up a little while ago, every morning uh, before my kids go to school when I'm driving them, everywhere we've lived, we've had a blessing corner. And what I mean by this is when, I, when we were in Scotland, I used to walk my, my daughter to her, her elementary school, and we hit this piece of the pavement just before the school, which was made out of a different kind of material. It was a distinct square. And every time we hit that, that was the blessing corner. And we stood on it, um, and I, we stopped, and I, I would give Claire a blessing. And it wouldn't be a general blessing. It would be like, I would think, how has her day started? She's been a little bit uh, sad today, or she's been a little bit angry, or she's been a little, a little bit whatever. I would, I would remember what the morning was like, and I'd say, all right, let's give you a blessing. You need a blessing of hope today? Would God give you hope? And I'd just put my hands over it. God, would you give Claire hope today? Would you help others to give Claire hope today? And would, you, would you help others um, to, to give Claire hope, or would you help Claire to give others hope? And may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. I don't know if you know how, how powerful a spoken blessing can be over a child. Just, just even as, as tough as things can be, a spoken blessing. I bless you today, child. And then when we moved from Scotland and went to Kentucky, there was this little place. It was like the Kiss and Rides of Kentucky. And it was like this big sort of roundabout where then you drop the kids off. And, and we'd get to this final corner where we'd turn. And then we call that the blessing corner, which is like a blessing today. And I'd give the blessing there. And now uh, there's Kiss and Ride or, you know, standing at the bus stop. Would you like a blessing today? And I always ask because sometimes they say no because we've, I've screwed up with parenting and they're mad at me. Would you like me to bless you? The Lord's, the Lord's uh, representative who's just sinned against you is here to give you a blessing. You know, and it's like, they always have the freedom to say no. Like, no, I don't want your blessing. And then I say, okay, well, I'll just do it in my head. And you know, like, um, give your kids blessings. Bless them before bed. Bless them when they're asleep. Bless your kids. Uh, it goes a long way. And try, try, try to listen more than you talk. Uh, I know there's a lot of good parents out here who could testify to the fact that um, oftentimes, really, really, your job is more to find out what's going on in their inner world, what's going on in their life, and not to be the constant uh, fount of all wisdom. So you do need to teach your kids, of course. That's what we've been talking about. But we do need to listen more than we talk. And sometimes the situation that can, can get a bit hairy can be diffused if you just take time to, to say, hey, what's going on with you? I really want to know. Just, you know, sometimes they, they're, they have no interest in telling you, but at least you've tried. So again, uh, encouragement, time, touch. This is the way how selfless 
non-enraging parenting can, can come out in the wash. Um, but as we close here today, I want to remind us that parenting can be a baptism. Uh, I heard a, uh, I think, yeah, I, heard, I heard one of um, the church members talking recently about this. They said, you know, um, parenting, and I thought it was so true, parenting is the exact place where we can experience the love of the Father. The place where uh, we get trampled on and places where we can be rejected and unappreciated. And that's what we do to God all the time. That's our, our posture towards God. And he's there giving faithful love and forgiveness. And again, the, the, the prayer, let your mercies be new every morning. That's, I mean, we do not deserve... If, <laughs> to wake up every morning being refreshed because of all the little ways that are little selfish ways that we've walked on this earth, but God does it. And we can give that to a little human being who needs desperately to know that they're worthy of the love of the Father through our forgiveness, through our faithfulness, through our ability to stay true. But friends, it's not a pretty picture, is it? It's not, it's not clean and tidy. It's a lot of mess. And so Paul teaches at the end of Colossians, and he reminds us that our whole self was once ruled by the flesh. The flesh, not just, not this, not, not, not our bodies, but ruled by our own sinful kinds of patterns of being, our own selfishness. When we were in Christ, Paul says, our whole self was once ruled by the flesh, but it was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, when Christ came and made you part of his family, having been buried with him in a baptism, and raised through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And the point of all of this verse is here in the middle. You are buried with Christ in a baptism. And when you are not sophisticated, completely selfless, Christ-like parents, which you're not going to be, you can just admit that now, embrace that now, the parenting relationship is the perfect place to get that worked out. We come face-to-face on a daily basis with the invitation, once again, to show Christ-like love and to have that. And where that's not formed in us, it will be if we give ourselves to the process. And um, I talked a little bit more about that last time. But just as a reminder that that, uh, parenting is a beautiful place to learn to be like Christ. And again, I'm going to boil this down if you need handles to hold on to today. Honor your parents. Be people who walk and know how to honor your parents, which is not obeying your parents, which is not coming under their authority, but it's learning to show over and over again the Christ-like forgiving love to those who raised us. Be respectable. Your character matters 100% to how successful you are as a parent. And where, you're, where you lack character, where character is lacking, let the process of parenting shape that in you. And tune in. Tune in to your, those kids around you selflessly. Take the time and energy really to dial in in the little emotional complex world of the person in front of you and do it selflessly in a way that the kids deeply come to understand not just the wisdom that you have to pass on, which is good and, and right, but also the fact that they're, they're enjoyable, worthy to be loved. And if we do that, I mean, I wonder what our lives would look like if we became experts at this. We talk a lot about spreading the selfless love across the earth. That's, that's what we're here to do. But where does it begin other than the little patch of land that we live in day in and day out? 
What would it look like if even half of us became aficionados and experts in this kind of way? What would it look like uh, if, we, if we dialed up just a little bit of this kind of way of being into our lives? What would it, what would, how would it be different? There's lots of techniques out there. You can listen back through the sermon series to find some. But it's going to be you taking the responsibility to find ways of being, to manage your home with good character, and to insert the selfless love of Jesus over and over and over again into those relationships. I think things could look a lot different in our lives if we really took this seriously. And now, you know, I'm speaking to myself. I'm preaching to the choir here. Who needs to hear this? So I'm not sure what it is that you've taken away from this sermon series or what it is that you'll... uh, um, remember two weeks from now, if anything. Um, but I guarantee that if you've been listening to this, if you've been opening your hearts to this message, that God is doing something in you. And you may need to just locate one little thing that you're going to hold on to. Or you may need to admit to one thing that you've been denying. Or you may need to learn some little bit of Christ-like living that you've been missing out on. Or you need to get real with God about some of the ways that you're messed up because of your past. I don't know what it is. It's lots of things. But God is here and is speaking to us and with you. And I invite you now in these last few songs to respond, to come close to God, to bring your prayers to him through your singing, through your internal praying, and through the taking of Jesus' body and blood. These, this bread symbolizes Jesus' blood broken for us. And the juice symbolizes Jesus' bloodshed for us. This whole way of selfless other giving that is so foreign to us and we need reinforced over and over and over again, all of us. So whatever it is, friends, the table is set. I'd invite you forward and everyone here is welcome.